Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Eric Kodrowski, who is the CISO at Sunry Security. And we're going to be talking to Eric about some best practices related to building a cloud risk management strategy and how best to determine and reduce, um, reduce your blast radius. We may talk about some other things as well, but before we do that, let's say hi to Eric. Eric, how are you today? Not too bad, Mark. Hello, everybody. Hey, so, uh, and whereabouts are you located? Um, I'm actually located in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, way up in Canada. So, wow, yeah. wow, Have, has a uh, spring arrived yet? Spring in Newfoundland is an interesting uh, concept, so it has not arrived, but uh, this is iceberg season, so many, many icebergs have arrived, so it's quite beautiful to stop. Are you there. serious? You you actually see real, legit icebergs? Yes. Out? Oh, yeah. I went for a cruise last night in a car, and you can go park by the ocean, and you watch these big, giant, massive icebergs float by, yeah. Do you guys ever, like, take a small craft out and try to climb on the icebergs? Is that not recommended? <laughs> no, that's not recommended. I was just saying to a friend that every year you... You see a, a, a posting on the news where someone goes to try to do that. But what happens is the icebergs can cap, which means they can break apart or flip over. And every year you see some video where somebody goes out like a motorboat, like, you know, with an engine behind it and they get too close to an iceberg and it caps. And as you can imagine, these things are massive and the, the, the waves that they create can be quite dangerous. So they're best to be viewed from, from quite a distance. Yeah. Sounds like a great uh, drunken pastime for uh... <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. Not recommended. You didn't hear it here. No. Hey. No. So a risk Eric, management strategy. Don't go too close to icebergs. <laughs> I, yeah. And um, and for most of the people in the world, that's never an issue. But you know, if you're up in Newfoundland, uh, Foundland, yes. Hey, Eric, before we um before we get into talking about cloud risk uh, management, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what Sunry does. Yeah, I mean, so Sunry Security is uh, is a cloud security platform. And we take it in, in four pieces, right? Um, we believe that identity and data security need to be at the core of your cloud security strategy. And I believe we're going to talk you know, more about that today. Um, and one of the other things we're going to talk about today is what I'll call risk and context. And we'll talk about in the context of the blast radius. But really, you know, putting it together, your vulnerabilities on your workloads, uh, the security risks of your identities protecting your data, and then the overall configuration of your platform. And so we put that all together and really pinpoint what are the most important risks across your cloud and clouds, so across your multi-cloud environments, to really say, of the hundreds of things, thousands of things that pop up from a risk perspective, you know, these are the really, really important five, ten things you should focus on uh, to enable you to fix the real problems in your crowd and not just be chasing, as I like to say, gophers or ghosts um, in an area where you'll never get anything done. So creating awareness and then prioritizing in terms of what you find. And I guess that's kind of just to get a nice little segue if we didn't actually answer the question, but why don't you talk about what, you know, what is a cloud risk management strategy, why it's important and, you know, and, and what are some of the key tenets of that? Well, I think, you know, like I've been doing this information security stuff for 20 years. I did it coming right out of engineering school. You know, the idea of risk management is it's not new to anybody uh, that's been around this for six months or 60 years. Um, but in the cloud, I mean, the paradigms have kind of shifted from the move from the data center into the cloud. And so when you're thinking about your risk strategy in the cloud, I like to talk about it in, in those four pillars. You know, identity and data, again, are at the core. And that's where you have to know, what are your identities? What are the end-to-end -end permissions that they can have 
within a cloud with across multi-cloud environments, what can they do with those permissions? Um, then you flip the coin and you look at the data perspective. So again, looking at your data risk, where is my data? You know, data data fraud in the cloud is a, is a huge problem. Um, but second of all, as part of that strategy, what is my data? And that's a really important question to ask because are you going to spend lots of time, money, and effort trying to manage risk on data that is not worth very much to your business? Or are you going to want to focus on the stuff that matters? And I don't think anybody has an unlimited budget. So that question is sort of a, you know, a bit of a given. And then, you know, looking further out from there, you know, what are the vulnerabilities on the workloads in your cloud? Those are going to be the point of entry. So on your EC2s or your PMs or whatever, how are the uh, malicious actors going to get into your environment? And then lastly, the configuration of your cloud, the fourth pillar. Have I configured my cloud in a secure way? And so when you put those pieces together, identity security, data security, workload management, and then um, uh, platform security, really that's how you should think about a risk management security uh, strategy in your cloud. But again, the key is risk in context. Across any one of those pillars, you're going to have lots of risk. I mean, that's just the state of the world today. What you really need to do is step back and as I like to say, look at the forest for the trees and say, when I put all those risks together, what are the top three, what are the top five risks that bubble up? And then focus your efforts on solving those problems so you can make a real effort in improving the security of your cloud and not just feel like you're just being overwhelmed by an onslaught of things every single day and not even moving the deal forward. How does that translate into something a CISO would do their first week on the job? I mean, I can have all those objectives that you just mentioned, but how do I actually go about and do that? And, you know, what's the process and how long does it take? Yeah, I mean, I think when a CISO comes on the job, the, the question you need to always be asking yourselves are in each one of those areas. But again, I always start with the identity piece because that really is the, the key to all of this. Can Do we have an accurate inventory of the identities in our cloud? And, you know, for any CISOs that are new to the cloud, we're used to thinking of identities in terms of Eric and Mark and Bob and Jane, and whatever. We call those people identities. But what, where the real work happens in the cloud is the non-people the non people or the non-human identities, your roles, your service principles, your machine identities, the things that run the services. So getting an inventory of that, which is a key security strategy inventory, um, but then more importantly, uh, computing their permissions, their end-to-end -end permission. What can the user mark actually do in the cloud? Can the, mark, the user mark hop on a VM that has an identity itself and use that identity to cross from you know, a non-production environment to a production environment and steal the data. So you compute those identities. And so that's the big thing. What are my identities? What are they access to? What can they do? Then you need to answer the data question. Where is my data? Which again, sounds easy. It's easy for me to say. It is not a very easy task to do, especially without the right tooling. And then second of all, what is my data? So finding where all your data is in the cloud and then identifying well, where's the data that matters most to us. Um, and then from there, I tend to pivot into the, uh, what, you know, Gartner calls CSPM or platform security, you know, is my cloud configured securely? And, you know, this is another one of those elephants you can't eat all at once. So finding a starting point, finding a, a, a framework that works for you or, or finding a, a level that works for you and saying, okay, where do we need to be from a basic configuration standpoint? Have we just made sure that we've got no gaping holes in our cloud and we've followed best practices, we've locked things down, we've turned encryption on, et cetera. And then lastly, um, you know, the last thing I recommend is, is workload protection or vulnerability management in the cloud. Everybody's familiar with this in, uh, in the data centers. Everybody's got a vulnerability management program. Everybody's got a vulnerability management scanner. 
um, and using that as you would uh, on-prem, but in the new cloud paradigm. And so those are sort of the first steps, but recognizing that this is a big challenge. Like I've been doing cloud security for almost eight years now, and it's an ever-evolving, ever-growing thing. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, so from the technical, sort of tactical operational, that is a, a starting point. And then as a CISO, as a business leader, as an executive in the company that you work for, you know, forming those relationships with the teams that are responsible for the cloud, because those dynamics have changed a lot as well. Um, before the security teams maybe ran the firewalls or ran a lot of the security tooling. In this new world, we find that the clouds teams, the DevOps teams, name your cloud center of excellence, name your team, they actually run a lot of the, uh, a lot of the tooling, a lot of the things that happen in your cloud. So building those relationships with the teams, because they're going to be the ones that are going to have to fix the problems that they likely created. But without those relationships in place, it, 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 you know, you're not going to get very far as a CISO in the cloud. That's for sure. Thank you for that. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of four key areas that you would initially look at. Uh, and, you know, you start off with identities uh, and kind of doing an analysis of, you know, what's out there. Could you go back through those four, starting with identity? And yeah. talk about some flags that when you're doing this discovery, you know, piece, this is a flag or th these are some common issues that we see in this particular area. And here yeah. also, also throw in some best practices. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the biggest flags and again, in the identity space, a really tactical good starting point is privileged access certification. So once you have the right tooling and however you do it to be able to, and this is key, I'm going to say this many times today continuously monitoring. So doing old school inventory of identities every six months, every 180 days, every 360 days, that makes no sense in the cloud because things are changing so fast. So once you've got this continuously inventory of your identities going and you've been able to compute their end-to-end -end permissions, again, in your cloud or across clouds, find the ones with the highest level permission, your, your top level accounts, the ones that have the equivalent of full admin or, or given full admin in your cloud or, or whatnot and have a certification process for those. Should this have this, this level of access, yes or no? I mean, that's a very, that's a, that's a dichotomous answer. It should or it shouldn't. For the ones that should go through a certification process, which most organizations probably already have if they came from the data center world. And so that's a really big thing. That's a big red flag, looking for those identities that have the equivalent of full admin or start out star or whatever you want to call it and asking, should it have this? And if it does, certify it. If it doesn't, then you've, then you've got a, a problem. Um, the next level is in trying to, and I'm gonna use the word least privileged, but I know that's a very overused word in, in the security space. You know, Take the next level down of the ones that you've said no to. Okay, so obviously they have some level of high level permission. Figure out those ones. Why do they have that level of permission? And figure out maybe why they need such a high level and see if you can get it at least down from, from a, you know, a start out star, a full admin. And in most cases, what we find is they still need a high level of permission. They just don't need full admin level. And if you can do those two things in the identity space, you're off to a rocking start. You know, put a process around it um, and you're off to a rocking start. And, and why I say start there is because a lot of organizations already have these processes from their, from their legacy data center days. And if you're new to the cloud, then this is, this is definitely a key part of a security strategy that you need to have. Um, is this the area where also, you know, when somebody wants to elevate privilege, you would force, you know, an extra layer of authentication or anything like that? Is that, is this some, is that part of this process or is that, would that come later? 
Well, part of the process is if you're if you're continuously monitoring and doing the inventory and calculating like what we like to call the effective permission, the end-to-end permission, you know, with the right tooling, you can see if somebody's elevated a permission. If Mark had, you know, no permissions yesterday uh, in production, but all of a sudden tomorrow I see, I, I calculate the thing and boom, the alarm goes off and says, well, wait a minute, Mark's not now got full admin in production and can access this data. You know, that's where the tooling comes in in the cloud. And, and it, that's a big step, right? Having those, those, those things looking for control failures or, or these changes in the cloud are very, very important because all it takes is for somebody to make a mistake in, in an infrastructure as code and deploy something out or configure something wrong um, or put something in the wrong group sometimes. And all of a sudden you've gone from a lockdown state to a very bad state. And these things are very, very complex to detect without tooling on your own. They're, they're pretty, you know, I don't like to use the word impossible, but mm. they're pretty near impossible to detect without the right tooling in, in, in place and not get buried in the noise of everything else. Gotcha. Okay. If you want to just keep going through the remaining three, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So if you look at the next piece is data, again, you have to identify where your data is. That is, that is, uh, that is key because you know, the story I always tell is I walked into an organization once that was, that was full in the cloud, um, you know, and I said to the, assembled the team and got them together and I said, okay, I'm Eric, I'm in your CISO, you know, I'm great to be here, blah, blah, blah. Can somebody tell me where our, where our customer data is? We collected customer, you know, data from our, from our customers that was actually their customer data that we analyzed. And it's very, very sensitive stuff. And so sure enough, you know, the cloud architect got up on the board and the security architect got up on the whiteboard together. They drew this wonderful, great picture for me of our architecture. And they said, there's where our data is. And I was like, no, that's where our data is supposed to be. Can you tell me that when I have a policy that says data is not supposed to move from prod to dev to some staging account or whatever, that didn't happen. And so, you know, eyes went to the floor and the answer was they couldn't answer the question, right? They knew where the data was supposed to be, but not where it was. So you have to do that. So you know, a red flag to me always is, is that, you know, we don't have that monitor being in place to be able to check for if you have a piece of sensitive data. Um, again, this comes back to when you classify your data and identify what you really deem is important, not everything. But when that sensitive data is sitting in the place that it's not supposed to be, that's a key red flag for me that you need to have in place. And if you flip the coin with the identity piece, where that data is stored, the really, really sensitive stuff, do you know who or what has access to it? You know, do you know that Mark coming from a, a non-production account actually has rewrite delete access to our most sensitive data store? So you can kind of flip the identity thing on its head and look at it from the from the data lens. Um, and again, a red flag to me is if 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 they can identify the sensitive data store, if they can't, that's a huge red flag. But if they can, who has access to it? What has access to it? What can they potentially do with it? Because there's your risk. And then what are they doing with it? Did Mark actually execute a delete command yesterday? Because that's your incident. And that's, that's sort of the data piece. Um, on the CSPM, the, the cloud, you know, the, the platform security piece, you know, the biggest red flag is always, are you following some security framework? You know, choose your framework, whether it be CIS, whether it be cloud security, whether it be NIST, whether it be whatever you want to choose. If you're, if you're regulated, maybe you're forced to go down a certain route. Um, you know, do you have that in place? And the question I always ask is, have you looked at your controls and have you actually like cloudified them? Um, you know, because you, a lot of organizations I see coming from the data center take their controls and sort of just try to implement them in the cloud and it doesn't always make sense. And I, uh, 
I come back to a customer, one of the largest banks in the world that, I, that I've been working with for many years here at Sunry. Um, they actually came up with their own cloud security standard based on, based on these standards. But for every single control, they made sure they were very specific to the cloud and were very clear about how they could monitor those in the cloud. So yes, that's very ad an advanced state to get to, but if you don't have something to work off of from a platform perspective, that's a huge red flag and you need to be monitoring the basics. Is it on? Can you give yes. an example of, of where a, a control for a data center doesn't translate to the appropriate control for the cloud? Well, I think one of the ones is, is audit. You know, in the cloud, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of levels of audit in the cloud. You can get a massive amounts of logging in the cloud because they track everything. Is it turned on? I mean, we see that all the time. Is it turned, is it actually turned on? Um, another big one is encryption. Again, is encryption enabled on the, on the data store? And then the last one is like, is the thing, is the data store made public? You know, in, in the data center, this is our networks form the boundaries of our, of our security, right? But in the cloud, it doesn't work that way. You can, you can put a setting on an Azure uh, data store that actually gives it a public IP that someone with the right tool on the outside, you could download it, I could download it, we could search, we could point it at a web, you know, a set of IPs and check it. And, it, and they can find it. So that's another area where it's like, don't rely on just the network to be your boundary. You really have to think about your identities as your boundary and the, and the platform configurations as your boundary as well. And, that's the, and it's not surprising that those, ex, those examples are also the ones when we hear in the news about, hey, you know, so-and-so had an S3 bucket on the internet or an unencrypted database backup sitting in a public bucket somewhere on the internet. Like these are the real world things that happen when you don't, when you don't do that. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of vulnerability management. Yeah, that. this is, you know, like, this is one of the areas where I see people try to like lift and shift their VA program right from the on-prem. Um, and they'll usually take their sc scanner that they, that they have and they try to use it in the cloud. And I get it, right? I mean, you're trying to sweat your assets. You're trying to, you know, not have to build out this new program. Uh, but in the cloud, it's kind of changed. I mean, you know, these scanners often scan on a periodic basis. Uh, and... Resources in the cloud aren't always static. Sure, you have some static resources, but there's a lot of ephemeral resources that could come up for seconds or minutes or, or whatever. And so you really need you know, tools in that area that can identify when a VM or a, a resource comes up to be able to scan it when that happens, and also not to be able to scan it with an agent. You know, A lot of these old school technologies had a static scanner on static servers with agents that reported back, and they would say, hey, we're great. And in the data center, I mean, I did that for years and that worked. In the cloud, what happens is not only are you missing things because of that, but you also have this false sense of security. So maybe you're only seeing 20, 30, 40% of your environment with your static scanner, with your agents, with your whatever. Well, you as the leader, the security leader reporting up to your executive team or your board, yeah, we're good because this is what the scanner is telling me. And what I see a lot of the times is when we use sort of a, a cloud-based approach to do this vulnerability management, um, we find that it's like, well, geez, you're missing, you know, 50% of your environment. And guess what? That 50% you're missing is, is a hot dumpster fire mess, right? And, and, and what's worse is these executives have to go back to their, their executive teams and their boards and say, well, you know, we've been telling you for two years that we're fine. Well, guess what? We're, we're actually scanning half of our environment. And so that's, that's one area. 
Another area that I find is, of course, these scanners are going to find all sorts of things, you know, especially with the, the prevalence of open source software used these days. You know, everything seems to be a critical, like everything seems to be a CVSS score of like nine point whatever these risk in context. So yes, that VM might have a critical vulnerability, but again, when we look at the four pillars, is that VM attached to the internet? So, you know, uh, I call it CWPP, but vulnerability management and platform. Well, yeah, okay, it, it's not attached to the internet, so it's not a problem. Does it have an identity on it that is highly privileged? No. Does it have access to data? No. So that nine raw score in the context of your cloud might not mean anything. Now let's pivot to talk about a very, very well-known uh, breach that happened a couple of years ago, and I'll use this context. Let's say you have a VM that has a vulnerability. And for in, in that case, I don't know what the level of vulnerability was, but I always use the example, let's just say it's a media, something that mm -hmm. probably nobody really cares about these days. So you've got a score, but then that VM is attached to the internet. Okay, well, that, that raises the risk profile. Well, let's say that that VM now that's attached to the internet has an identity on it because, you know, in, in the cloud, you have identities associated with these resources. And let's say that identity has privileges to reach from a dev account into a production account to touch a data bucket. Well, all of a sudden, your risk level just really, really, really went up. And let's say that that data, because we've done our identification and classification, is really, really sensitive banking information. Let's use that example. Well, when you put that all together, that box attached to the internet with the identity that can access everything that's vulnerable, when you put all those risks in the context, that's probably one of the most important things that a security team should be focusing on in their whole environment, in the noise of thousands of other things. Um, but when you look at any one of those things in a silo, and especially when organizations don't look at things in context and treat them in silos, things like that get missed. And that's how that organization likely found themselves in a lot of trouble that we all know a lot about. So if they had the appropriate tool in that scenario, I'm assuming there's some degree of automation to kind of connect the dots and say, hey, you know what? Um, this isn't just a vulnerability. This is a vulnerability that has exposure to the internet and also is, has an identity that gives it um, access to these other critical um, assets. Yep. So what does that look like on the dashboard? I mean, is, is a flag pop up? Is, is there something that actually explains it all? What, what, am, yeah. what are we seeing? In terms of Sunray, I mean, that's where we get in the context of blast radius. So we use that, that term of if something bad were to happen, how, you know, from the military term, how big would the blast radius be? That's exactly it. So you would see that, you know, here's this, this workload. And as you put the pieces, the context together, you would see this rather large bubble in red saying, red identity, red exposed to the internet, red vulnerability, or maybe yellow vulnerability. I use the medium and red because it's data. And that would bubble it right to the top. Um, any good tool should also set the criticality of that alert or whatever it is that generates in whatever alerting mechanism that it does. But point being, whatever tool you're using, that should really shoot up red flags and say, hey, listen, like somebody really needs to look at this. Because in context of our cloud and everything we've, we've analyzed, this is a big problem. And then do you give options for remediation? Absolutely. So, you know, at Sunry, in all of our um, controls, we call them policies, but all of our controls, not only do we say, here's the problem, we give uh, details of the problem, why it's a problem. We give uh, options for remediation. 
that the that the organization can take. Now, of course, some of it has to be generic because we don't know the exact thing. Um, but also in the cloud, one of the big things that I always preach a lot to security teams, and I know organizations hate the word automation and you know, they think it's cool, but nobody really uses it. You have to work at the speed and the scale of the cloud. If it really is a critical problem, do you want to fire off a ticket and wait for that ticket to end in someone's, you know, process and ticketing mechanisms for someone to look at to someone to investigate? Or if you know that it's a problem, if it's something that you've identified as a big problem, like, hey, we've got an S3 bucket or an Azure data store in a production account sitting on the internet, I would say that probably almost every single organization in the world would say, no, we don't want that. Use automation to fix those problems at the speed and the scale of the cloud. Close it down, shut it down. And then if it's really needed, you're going to find out. But I'm more of the, you know, uh, take the action, ask for permission. You know, if I shut down a, a public bucket in a production account using automation, that was agreed to, of course. But if it, if it broke something, I'd rather say, well, listen, we were taking a risk-based approach and we did what we all agreed we were going to do. Oh, but now we know why this thing is, needs to be public. Then we can go through the appropriate steps to risk management, create an exception, whatever you do. Um, but again, it comes back to using the, the cloud is so powerful for businesses because of automation, because of what you can do using infrastructure as code and all this great automation. Security teams really need to start adopting that and organizations need to let their security teams and their operational teams supporting the cloud adopt that as well to solve problems, not just create, you know, applications and widgets and, and workloads for the business, because if not, you're never going to stay ahead of it. You're going to be, you're going to be so far behind that you're just going to be, it's like a Sisyphean challenge. You're never going to solve the problem. Awesome. Based upon what you see, what percentage of companies or you could say customers or prospects are 100% in the cloud versus some sort of hybrid? I would say across prospects, customers, every just even people I talk to in the industry and and you know the the work that I do with CISOs, um, a lot of organizations are are very very hybrid. You're seeing a lot of organizations making the shift to cloud um, in various degrees, and then some have made the shift and said, "Hey, we're going to actually be in this hybrid model for a while." One of our largest customers, a Fortune 50 company, said, "Hey, we've got 22 data centers globally. In three years, we're going to shut them all down and go fully to the cloud." So that's that's one extreme, but most of it falls in the middle of that Gaussian curve. Of we've got some in prem, and we're kind of moving to the cloud, and, and somewhere in that process. Um, at the other end, you've got your board in the cloud, like Sunry's board in the cloud, and and, uh, and like that. But um, you know, most of it's in the middle. Well, if that's the situation, then does that make mean that most of these organizations need uh, a couple different risk management platforms? I think that. I think that, you know, in, if they're, what we see in the on-prem, and this is, you know, of an organization I was at before, we had our security tooling, we had our platforms that were uh, capable in uh, on-prem, but what we needed was something more specific for the cloud. And so I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of organizations. And that's part of what I advocate sort of as a, sort of as a CISO sort of security strategy as well, having this, this cloud environment where you've got the right tooling for the cloud but I'm also a big fan of sweating your assets, right? If you've got a risk management platform that can accept data from other platforms, use what you have, use the processes that you have, just make sure the inputs are correct. So don't just take tooling from, from your prem and put it in your cloud and think it's gonna solve your problems. Make sure your tooling's correct and then sweat the processes you have, sweat the assets that you do have 
uh, from a risk governance. Because a lot of times these things just take inputs and we manipulate them and we come up with a score or a dashboard. And those are perfectly fine to have um, however you're using them, but just make sure the inputs are, are appropriate for where they're coming from. Okay, totally makes sense. Hey, I, I noticed in the, the prep notes for our conversation that um, you would be willing to kind of walk through the last pass, yeah. uh, you know, issue and, and, and then kind of map that back to how traditional approaches didn't help, but how a, a, a better strategy would help. So could you, can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. And, and we're trying to start with this because this was an ever evolving thing, right? So for, for many months or many quarters, we saw this thing, but really where I want to jump into this story is, is the last sort of information that came out where we learned that somehow, some way, uh, you know, this, uh, a malicious actor was able to get, uh, the identity, uh, the password basically, or the credentials for, uh, a last pass vault, of, uh, you know, of, uh, one of the DevOps or, or whatever. And what we know from, you know, I'm going to speak to what we know and not what we hear. What we know is that once they were able to get into that vault, um, they were able to grab a cloud identity. And this was a very highly permissioned cloud identity. And with that cloud identity, they were then able to get into uh, supposedly LastPass cloud. And again, through the techniques that we've talked about through whether this identity just had full admit or whether they were able to laterally move like, hey, this identity has the ability to, you know, assume a role into another account, which then gives it a new set of permissions. They were able to probably move laterally across that cloud until they found the things that they needed. Also in the, in, you know, apparently what they found was whether it was that identity or some other identity they were able to laterally move to, they were able to get, uh, to decrypt the data in sensitive areas so they could then start looking into things. So it all comes back to, again, where, what are my identities? You know, do we have a process for them? Do we know what they are? Do we know where they are? Do we know what permissions they have? And we've checked to make sure that they have, you know, that they need those level of permissions. Do we know what the risk is of those? So what could they possibly do with those permissions? Do we have uh, monitoring alerting in place to know if those are being used from the identity space? And then when you flip the coin, again, where's our sensitive data? Where's our sense, our keys, our decryption keys, our whatever it is. Do we know who or what can access it? So there's your risk. And as that's been vetted and checked and double checked and re-inventoried all the time, is there a process in place where, let's say that the access key that was taken, for example, well, maybe it was used from a completely different location. So there, are there checks and balances in place that are saying, okay, so there's a risk there and we accept that, but wait a minute, this key is being used from an area we haven't seen before. Maybe that should set off an alarm. So in that case, when we talk about that identity and data being the flip side of the coin, uh, you know, were those checks and balances in place? And again, I want to talk to, to what we know and not what we speculate, but I think we can kind of infer that, I, that maybe some of that stuff wasn't in place or some of that alerting wasn't in place. And if it was, maybe it wasn't going to the right place. Maybe the automation wasn't in place to say, well, wait a minute, this key was being used from an IP that's never been used from, and it's being used to touch a really sensitive data store. Maybe instead of firing off a ticket, maybe that should have been a, a piece of code and we call them bots to say, listen, just shut that down for now because this is this is suspicious. Now, I don't know what they had and what they didn't have, and I'm not going to speculate, but obviously something happened there and there were there were uh, you know issues uh, that happened. And listen, I've been in this business 20 years. I've been in for information security for 20 years. I've lived through 
uh, many unpleasant things in my time. So I'm not throwing, you know, shade at anybody. Um, but from an identity of cloud perspective, those are the areas of risk that, that sort of popped up to me when I look at, at that scenario and, and what happened and what I can kind of infer from, again, from what is public knowledge. Great. So cover the basics, man. Got to get the basics yeah. right. Yeah. Again, uh, inventory your identities, calculate their effective permissions. Where's your sensitive data? What can access right. it? What are they doing with it? Answer those questions and do it continuously. And that's a, that, that needs to be the core of your cloud strategy because that's where... You should, you should make a yeah. poster, man. Put it on I the should, wall. You should have a t-shirt. There's a t-shirt or <laughs> right? something, right? Yeah. Hey, um, what's your sense in terms of the, um, these, you know, the bad actors out there? Uh, are they, when they're looking at businesses to target, are they doing it because of some external signal that says, hey, they don't have the basics right? Is there something that, or are they just going after random whatever? Hey, you know what? Let's go after XYZ uh, bank or company. Or is there some kind of, you know, hey, oh, look, there's some low-hanging fruit. Let's go after these guys. What's your sense of that? This is a funny one. I was at a, I was at a plane one time, um, sat next to a guy, and we got the usual plane chit-chat of, oh, you know, where are you coming from? What do you do? And he just said he was with the government. And I said what I did, and he started asking me some very pointed questions. I'm like, okay, like, what agency are you with kind of deal? But, you know, really, he asked the question the same way. And there's all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, reasons that the bad actors do the things that they do. It could be cybercrime, it could be espionage, it could be nation state, it could be whatever. And each one of those has their own way of doing stuff. So sure, yeah, some of them are just going to spray out looking for whatever they can find, maybe get in there, steal an identity, get on a bunch of stuff, ransom it, try to get some money, that crimes, you know, steal some stuff. But I think what, you know, a lot of what we're seeing from the more sophisticated stuff is very targeted. The criminals, the criminals, the cyber, well, we'll call them malicious actors, right? They know that organizations are struggling with the, you know, the keeping up with cyber. They know that, that organizations are struggling with the move to the cloud and trying to secure that in this new world. Um, and so what they're really doing is they're getting smart about the cloud being a, a really good spot to hit. And they're starting to listen to these podcasts and webinars, just like we, we give them learning where the weaknesses are in the organizations. And then if you look at, you know, and I'm not going to name the, the organization, but, a, you know, an organization in the U.S. a couple of years ago that, that distributed a certain, you know, um, uh, commodity, uh, they got hit and they got ransomed and they had some pretty big troubles and they had some things shut down. Um, you know, and, and other organizations that we've heard about, there are some definitely some targeted attacks. And what we're seeing, especially in the last four or five years, is the criminals are being really smart about, about what they're attacking. I keep saying criminals, but, you know, they could be anybody. They could be nation state. They could be whatever, internal. I mean, that's a big threat as well. They're getting smart about it, and they're learning where the weaknesses are in the cloud, and they're learning where organizations are not looking or where organizations are trying to use old-school methodologies to protect the cloud. And they'll say, okay, that covers 80%. So we're going to hit the 20% where they're invisible. Um, and that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing a lot of attacks. Like you can read Gartner, you can read IBM, you can read, you know, I think uh, CrowdStrike just released something. Identities, identities, identities. You know, I think the stat is somewhere well above 80% of all uh, attacks in the cloud, successful attacks in the cloud have, have had something to do with an identity. Um, and so it just comes back to focus that they know that identities are a big weakness and they're going after that. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is there some sort of external signal that they can pick up on to say, hey, they don't have the basics squared away in this organization. They're, 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 their identity management 
uh, is not up to par. So this is some low hanging fruit because, you know, you hear this time and time again, that all, you don't have to be hundred percent secure. You just have to be more secure than most others because, you know, they, they, they want to go for the easy pickings. We hear this if, if obviously if it's nation state, they're, they're doing it for other typically reasons other than monetary gain or just to mess with you. Okay. And in that situation, um, you know, they're, they're not going to go away just because you've got the basics squared away. You've got, they're going to, you're going to need to have um, probably a little bit more advanced security posture, but is there any kind of message or signal that companies can send or shouldn't be sending to signify, Hey, you know what? We've got a pretty, pretty secure identity management policy going on here, a process going on uh, versus, Hey, everybody, we don't have anything. I mean, are there some kind of leading indicators or things that yeah. are very obvious? Yeah, and I think on the social engineering side, really, is is you look at companies that are talking about how they've gone to the cloud or use the cloud, or been very vocal about going to the cloud, and um, is a huge signal to change. Well, wait a minute, okay, you guys are in the cloud now. This is this is interesting. All right. But then I think it takes like just scroll. How would I do it? I would scroll through LinkedIn and see what kind of roles they have, and, and do they have? Are they looking for cloud security people? Are they looking for cloud identity people? Like, what are they looking for? What do they have? And, that's one of the big signals. We're moving to the to the cloud, and we desperately need security yeah. engineers. Yeah, like exactly right. So you see an organization yeah. says, "Hey, we've just you know signed the blah 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 with a blah blah blah, and we're we're moving fully to the cloud, and we're so cloud." And then they've got a hundred postings for cloud security. Well, like, okay, that's behind the eight ball, right? You can right. you can guess that right away. So you, that's one of the signals that that I would you know I would that I would look for if it was me doing it. Um, you know, then there's technical signals too, where, you know, you can scan these organizations. Are they using cloud-based things, um, you know, repos and whatever. And some of these tools that I talked about, some of these misconfigurations, go find what their, their cloud presence is and just go scan it. Oh, shoot. They've got a lot of, they've got a lot of buckets exposed. Mm, okay. So that kind of tells me they might not, not, might not have their, their finger on the pulse here. And then you start to dig in, right? If I were to scan a company that just went to the cloud that has a lot of postings for cloud security stuff. And I find that they've got a whole bunch of data stores made public. I'm going to go, okay, this is probably a pretty ripe target. I bet you there's a data store that has something really, really valuable. So those are some of the sort of uh, social signals and then some of the more technical signals that that I would look for if it was me doing this for sure. That's a great observation. Hey, um, maybe la last question here. Could you explain a little bit about uh, Sunri's name? Because I'm, I'm well, one, it's an interesting story, but two, I'm concerned that if people are listening in and they want to find out more information about Sunri, uh, they're going to try to spell it. And I think you should explain. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, our company's name uh, Sunri Security, and Sunri is uh, Irish Gaelic for data. Our CEO happens to be, to be Irish, Brendan Hannigan's his name. Um, and so when him and our co-founder, Sandy Bird, were creating the company, they named it Sunry Security, and it means data security. And that's what we're focused on is securing, you know, the data in the cloud and making sure that so you're secure. Um, but if you're looking for us, it's S-O-N-R-A-I security.com. So just so you don't get the name and the spelling confused, like, uh, like we talked about. Awesome. And I definitely will put uh, links in the uh, the show notes to your homepage. Hey, um, you need exciting developments or anything else you want to talk about for Sunri in the uh, the remainder of 2023? You know, I think for the remainder of 23, 2023, is again, this focus on that data and identity piece. You know, we're, we're really, we believe that that needs to be the core of your cloud security strategy. And what we're, you know, working for every day is to make ways to bubble those risks up, improve the analytics. So you really see that blast radius. So as I like to say, is you know, picture it as you get a thousand spears pointed at you, you as the CISO needs to know, 
that's the one I need to deal with. And that's what we're constantly striving towards. And then not just showing you that there's a problem, but helping you fix the problem, helping explain the problem and helping you give the tools, whether it be through automation and remediations that run automatically, preventions that you can put in place to stop things from happening. We really want to work on both sides of it. It's not just say, hey, you've got a bunch of problems, good luck. It's like, hey, here's a problem. Here's a bunch of problems. Here's your biggest risk. Here's how you can potentially solve it on your own. Or by the way, if you push this button or, or let this script run automatically in your cloud, this is how you can fix this on the fly. That's really what we're all about. No, no security person needs another tool just to, to, to barf garbage at them or barf alerts at them. We really need tools that are going to help us do our jobs. And, and you know, we strongly believe that that happens through, again, risk and context and automation. Great. Hey, um, actually, I do have one more question. Um, sure. Let's assume that I'm in the market for some type of platform similar to Sunrise, okay? And I'm assuming that you have competitors. What is the number one thing me as a CISO should be looking for in a platform? And I, you know, you could go back through the ability to kind of uh, you know, manage those four different areas, but, you know, just number one in, in your mind, what is the most important thing? I think the most important thing is risk and context. I mean, that's okay. how I've always approached my role is from a security analyst all the way up to being a CISO is you're always going to have a plethora of information coming in, but you need to identify very quickly where are the biggest areas of risk across, like stepping back and looking at the forest for the trees and then focusing on that. That allows you to say, hey, board, executive committee, whoever you report to, here's the three things we need to do. Here's how it breaks down into the problems across those areas I talked about. And then you can put logistic, uh, like literal programs and budgets and programs in place to fix it, as well as to show your steps. Because if not, it's just a wall of red. And what are you going to do? You just feel lost and overwhelmed and, and pretty bad every day. And nobody wants to feel that way. Like it's like checking my emails on Monday morning after a three-day weekend or whatever. Exactly, right? You need <laughs> that like, one oh thing. God, that, what do I start? <laughs> you need like the, an algorithm that bubbles that one most important email up to the top. Anything from my boss there. goes to the top. My boss or my yeah. wife. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, Eric, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Secure Talk. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.